Good morning. Welcome. It's good to see everybody this morning. We're glad you're here. And hopefully you got a bulletin later on in the service. You can follow along. We'll have several announcements that we'll keep you up to date on. But let me begin this morning. I'm just going to read for you our silent meditation once again. Please listen. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. And that's our prayer here this morning. As we go forward, stand with me as I call us to worship. You'll find the song right there below it, How Great, that we'll be singing next. But let me call us to worship. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. Let's do that this morning. Amen. You may be seated, and I hope in your bulletin there you'll look on the back. You'll see several announcements that are there. I will let you keep up. We need you to sign up if you're able for the hoedown. If you've never been to the hoedown before, that's this coming Saturday. We'll meet out here on the backside. We'll have a tent set up. And if you were here last year, they bring in a, a music, music team that plays all kinds. And we do line dancing and they teach you all kinds of stuff. There'll be cornhole and activities. And it's just a fun time to come and fellowship. It is a, a chili cook-off. I'm not going to tell you that your, your pride is involved, but we do want to know who makes the best chili. So please bring some chili, or if you don't like chili, a great soup. Bring it in, and just it's a wonderful evening to just share and fellowship. If you can't stay the whole time, just come while you can and fellowship. But what a great way to be able to fellowship with each other outside the context of worship and to be able to build relationships with those here in our body. So please, if you get a chance, sign up for that just so we know preparations and what to expect if you can. And then next Sunday is Nick's installation service. Nick is growing up, so we're going to install him as, as an associate pastor now. He's been our assistant, and so he's going from the knee high to the hip high. We call it in our family as you're growing up. But it's a wonderful time where many different uh, people will be here. Different churches are represented. We have to have a certain amount of ruling elders and teaching elders to come. And uh, Nick's already been ordained as an, uh, a minister in our denomination, but he has to be installed actually as the church. You voted him in, but now we have to install him. And so next Sunday, we will have that installation service. And then right after that, we want you to join us downstairs for finger foods and some fellowship uh, to celebrate uh, the work that God is doing here through Nick and his family. And so please, if you get a chance to sign up again, all that helps us with. If you don't sign up, you can still come. Folks, all the sign-up does is allow us to help plan and prepare enough to help so we know what to expect um, for next weekend. Let me just run a few things by you that we need to share, and I appreciate your patience. One of them is, again, with the officer training tonight at 5, keep us in prayer. We meet about every other week, and we'll be going through that training for many months. And, uh, but it's exciting um, to, to know that we have those going through the training process. I told you I would keep you up to date. We are now, I was told by Miss Lisa Phipps, she is our financial guru uh, here at the church, and she has told us that after we just made our payment with the monies that you guys have helped donate, we now owe less than $95,000 on our building. 
So again, I looked back a few years ago, that's a half a million less than we were before the pandemic. So the Lord has truly blessed us. Our goal is to get that paid off. And so we appreciate all of you who have given some to help us with that. And then lastly, let me say this, or not lastly, but before I do announcements, those of you getting involved in ministry teams, we've now got our partnership and ministry teams going. I know the fellowship is getting back going. I know Nick's got the friendship or evangelism and outreach and evangelism going. Um, all those teams are open. Someone had asked me the question, well, who can serve on those? Anybody in the church can be a part of the ministry teams. So I'm going to use one just for an example. If you're serving on the food ministry out front and you're serving on Saturday, you don't have to be a member of our church to be able to do that. If you're on our missions team and you're active in missions, you don't have to be a member to do that. But there are some of the ministry teams we have you need to be a member. And for example, if you're going to be on the finance team, you really need to be a member of the church because you'll be dealing with the intimate details of the church and there's only limited people that do that. But all, all the other ministry teams as you're a part of, you can be a part of those teams. The difference is this, when the ministry team meets to vote on things and to go forward, you have to be a member of the church to be able to vote. It's no different than when you're an elder a deacon or when we're in a congregational setting they all function the same way we can all be a part but if you're on a ministry team and I'm making this up if you're on the music team you are welcome to come and help sing and do things but if Sarah's music team meets it's only those members on the team that are allowed to actually go forth and report to the session so please keep that in mind we don't want to hinder anyone from serving um, but we want you to know that please don't take that in a wrong way, but you have to be a member just like we were in a congregational meeting. You have to be a member in order to vote. Um, and then the shoe boxes, we are at that time, folks. If you're doing a Christmas shoe box uh, for Samaritan's Purse, I believe who sponsors isn't that right? Who does this? Uh, our goal is to have a thousand boxes uh, by next month. So if every family would do a hundred, uh, we would be able to. <laughs> I thought you guys were going right along with me. I thought you were just going to say, okay. Um, we, we have one month, middle of November. We'll have dates and things put up, but we want to have all that turned in. If you're not able to do a box yourself, or three or four, if your family wants to do more, we have them in the foyer. It's a first-come, first-served basis out there. So if you want the actual pre-made boxes ready to ship, um, please get one. But if you, if you don't want to do a box, but you have items that you would like to just donate please bring those. And then what will happen is when we get to the end of the time in November, our youth and children and stuff can get together and they will actually pile the boxes with the necessary goods to make more boxes. So everybody can be involved, whether you want to do a whole box yourself or just bring some of those goods. We want you to be a part of the ministry. And then finally, we do need some diapers, um, not for our nursery, but as you know, um, We've had a, a booming food ministry out front. Uh, we have at times had, I believe, up to 90 cars that come through and represent some of those many families. And we don't just give out food. We give out all kinds of things. We have those that donate dog food, cat food, rabbit food, I think gerbil food. I'm not sure what else goes with it. But we're feeding families. We're feeding the critters of the families. But we also want to clothe them especially the little ones. And one of the greatest needs we have right now is we're out of diapers, especially sizes two to five. So if your child can go without a week of diapers, bring us a pack. 
and we'll give them to someone else. Or if you would like to donate some, please just keep that in mind. Bring them here to the church. We'll put them in the foyer, and Rusty will have those. But folks, it has been a growing ministry since the beginning of the pandemic of how many families are now coming to our church that we are able to help. And it's not just people outside our church. There are times when even here, we encourage you, if you're going through a time that you need help or you need something, you have to let us know. Our deacons, Rusty, anybody can help you. Or if you have a family on the side that you're ministering to, they don't have to be here on Saturday. Please let us know and we want to be able to minister to them. That's why God has us here. We want to minister to our community. So please keep us informed. So God's been good. I appreciate your patience through all of this. We're excited about all that's up and coming. We want you to plug in. But let's take a moment before we continue and just thank the Lord. Ask him to remember all these prayer requests. They're there before you. Um, some of the special ones we have is to remember uh, especially Dick Jones, who's now in memory care. And uh, obviously Keith, who they've moved, but is also uh, now in memory care. Um, we have several families. Um, that we just need to lift up and ask the Lord to encourage them as they continue ministering to their parents or to their loved ones, and the, the Lord would strengthen them. So let's go to the Lord, and if you would join me in the Lord's Prayer in just a moment, you'll find it inside the red cover of the hymn book if you need that, but let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we are so grateful that you would call us to yourself, that we would have an opportunity to come and to worship, to an open access where we have presence with all of your children to be able to come and lift you up, to thank you for everything that you have done for us. Father, of all the gifts you've bestowed upon us, of all the blessings that we have received, none compare to the gift you gave us in your son, Jesus Christ, that you would be willing to forgive us, to cleanse us, and to make us right, to prepare a place for us that we could spend eternity with you. Father, we do ask this morning that you would forgive us in all of our hurriedness, all of our anxiety, the Lord, you would help us set aside the things that are filling our mind and our hearts this morning. Lord, help us to focus on you. Help us to take a few moments to listen to your word, to feel the comfort of your Holy Spirit, and to know that you've called us to a great commission, that when we leave this place today, Lord, we can bring blessings as we further your kingdom. Lord, I thank you for all of our family members, but we pray especially for those who've been sick, we lift up Francis this morning as he has wrestled for weeks with being sick. Lord, that you would strengthen him. Uh, Lord, I pray for Keith, uh, Jewel, that you would just be with him. And Loren as she ministers to him and the family as they care for him. I, we pray for Nellie as she continues that you will give her the strength to be with Dick and to minister and to find the right help and circumstances as he goes forward. Uh, Lord, these are the times... Uh, that we need so much covenant help from our body, from our brothers and sisters. And so, Lord, I pray you use us. Use us to minister to them uh, as you would minister to us. Lord, again, we don't deserve it. We've not earned it. Lord, when we gather in your presence, we realize there's nothing more to ask for than for you to reveal yourself to us, to thank you for coming, preparing us for the future. But, Lord, we do come praying together at the throne of grace as you taught us, saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'm actually going to have you remain standing if you're able as we do our confession of sin. It's from, you see, the Westminster Confession of Faith, modern English version. It's there for you in the bulletin. On the Lord's Supper, and very appropriate as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper a little bit later in the worship service this morning. So let's recite together this section. Worthy receivers of this sacrament, outwardly partaking of its visible elements, also inwardly by faith, really and indeed, yet not physically, but spiritually, receive and feed upon Christ crucified and all benefits of his death. The body and blood of Christ are not physically in, with, or under the bread and wine. Yet in this ordinance, the body and blood of Christ are present to the faith of believers in as real a spiritual sense as the bread and wine are to their physical senses. As we come to the Lord, we've got this prayer of confession that we confess together, even though also we confess our sins privately to the Lord. But let's pray this prayer together out loud. O God, who was and is and ever shall be, I come this morning to seek your guidance. I need help trusting in your compassion. In many temptations, you alone know and are always near. In my sorrow, your pity revives my fainting soul. In my prosperity and ease, it is your spirit alone that can preserve me. Father in heaven, through your unfailing supply of peace and righteousness, take now the veil from my heart. Join me together with your prophets and saints who have trusted in you and were not ashamed not for my own unworthiness, but for your tender mercy. Hear the cry of my heart and help me prepare to worship you. Amen. And then turn over to our assurance of pardon. From Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. As we ask the Lord and trust him to forgive our past sins, the gospel also helps us have confidence as we continue to confess sin and as we continue to repent every day of our lives as Christians. We don't need to fear that he will turn us away. We have his promise. So trust in his forgiveness today. Trust that he will help you as you continue to repent throughout your life. And as we reflect more and more the character and love of Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to just listen. We ask you to touch our hearts, change us, and prepare us to serve you faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, and I hope that you brought your Bibles with you this morning. We've been studying through Hebrews, and the challenge to all of us is to listen to the sermon. That's what Hebrews is. It's a sermon that's been given to us 
about the importance of a relationship with Jesus Christ. We've been comparing the old and the new. From the very beginning, we have been comparing the old ceremonial system, the sacrificial system, with that of the new covenant. Here in chapter 8, we have been brought into this new covenant and all of its better promises. Built more on the office of Melchizedek and his order than the order of Levi or Aaron and the priests. In other words, we've been slowly challenged to focus our eyes on what's above rather than what's here on earth. This morning you're here, and I want to challenge you already that this morning the preacher has for us from Hebrews a time for you to be changed. It's time to understand what's new. Now, you could do your own research throughout Scripture and look up all the times that we are told about what we have that's new. Everything from a new song to a new blessing to a new understanding. But this morning, we're told that is within the new covenant. It's an understanding what Jesus has done for us that you get to experience the blessedness of the new covenant promises. So here in chapter 8, Beginning in verse 7, we begin to follow up on the last part before he goes into depth in the next couple chapters about the importance of the sacrifice and what it means. This morning we'll have a chance to share in that in the Lord's Supper. But there's some things I want to share with you. Follow along, please, as I read from Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse 7, when it says this, For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law into their minds. I write, write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of the new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish. Man, may the Lord bless the reading of his word. As you know, it's a very hot topic over the centuries of Bible scholars discussing just where do we land when it comes to the New Testament and the Old Testament, the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. Just how much does the law still play a place in our lives today? And are we to still live the legalistic structure that's there? Or what's happened to the law now? Is it still applied to our hearts today? And how is it that we fulfill the law when Jesus came to do that as we live it out in our lives? It's been a constant debate, if I can use the big words, between the continuity and the discontinuity, between the old covenant and the new covenant. This morning, I challenge you to listen carefully as the writer of Hebrews says to us, if you're still living 
by the old covenant standards, you're missing the blessings of the new covenant. The old covenant sacrifices are not going to help you. The old covenant ceremonies will no longer suffice. The old covenant stipulations of the law, which are still applied today in what we call the moral aspect, can never be obtained still on your own efforts. It's the new covenant in Jesus Christ that makes all of this possible. So I take you on a journey this morning to simply say this. How many of you this morning, you don't have to raise your hands, want to be new? You're ready to have the slate cleaned. You're ready to start afresh. You're ready to get a new perspective. You're ready to feel like someone actually cares this time. That's what comes in the new covenant. It comes when you come to Jesus Christ. There's four things I'll share with you in this passage. You can write these down as we go. First of all, in this new covenant promises, we get a new nature. We get a new nature. Listen to what he says at the very beginning of the statements as we begin to read. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. And then listen to the direction of the statement, folks. Write this and circle this. It says in verse 8, for he finds fault with who? Them, not the law. The faultless of the law is there before it. The problem that we're having today is that we were born into a structure of the old covenant in which we were still with the inability of, of pleasing God. We don't have the opportunity to please God because we have inherited what is known as a fallen nature. Now, I could get into all kinds of theological debates with you this morning, and I say one that scares you to death. I had a person ask me one time, Pastor, what is the age of accountability? I thought, well, I have searched the scriptures time and time again for the age of accountability. What they were really asking me was this, when does the time come in life in which my child is no longer innocent but now guilty? When do our children reach that moment in time in which they are now accountable to God for everything they do when before that they're not? I will tell you in my own personal life, I found an answer to that in several places, probably not what you're longing for, but one of them comes from Matthew when he's the only one that tells us, because he's also the only one that talks about the slaughtering of the children, when Matthew says this, angels behold the face of children. Oh, I don't know our children's hearts. I'm not sure what that age of accountability is. But I will tell you, not only do I believe angels behold the face of children, I'm also so thankful in 1 Corinthians when it says, even one godly parent can bring their child before the Lord and have them set apart and declared holy. You want to know what's happening to your children? I'll gamble with you. Let's not take the chance that we miss the age of accountability Let's not fall back into the statements that all children are now innocent. I say this gently, but let's trust the scriptures when we're told we should be bringing them to the Lord, declaring them holy, and trusting that their future belongs to who? To God. Because if we fall into the trap of understanding that, and I say this gently, that children are all innocent to a certain age, folks, what you're really saying is children are no longer born sinners. If they're innocent, they're without sin. And if something happens to them, well, then 
They have to be innocent to go to heaven. Folks, let's not follow that line of thinking. Let's trust that if the Lord wants them in heaven, he grabs them for himself. He knows where they belong. He knows their hearts. He formed and fashioned them even before they were where? In the womb. But let's not fall into the faulty logic of saying that we're going back to believing that when we're born, we don't have a sinful nature. Oh, if that were true, then Siddhartha Gautama, the one who came up with enlightenment and became the first Buddha, would be the one who holds the true truths, known as the noble truths. Believing by his own parents in the kingdom in which he was born, that if you could just keep his environment pure, he would be born sinless and could be raised sinless and find true enlightenment and purity because sin would never affect him. Folks, I'm here to tell you that's not true. The point of the new covenant is that there was a fault with the old one. And it wasn't with the law. It was with the people. Circle that in your Bibles between 7 and 8. The, the covenant was not faultless. That's a wonderful word that is used there, a memptos. It's the word for blameless. It's the word that there is no fault. It carries with it moral obligations. And so we're not saying that the law itself had moral obligations and didn't fulfill them. The law is just an entity itself. The law is just a thing. The fault was not with the law, but with who? The people. The fault was with the nature of those that were to keep the law. There wasn't a problem with the mirror of the law. It reflected accurately and truly who we are, our sinfulness and our need for God. It was true in its portrait. It gave us a picture of God and his holiness and what he expects of us. The problem wasn't with the law. The law showed us our need for righteousness. It showed us our need for justification. It showed us our need to be in a right relationship with God. And as Paul would write it in Galatians, he would say it would be a tutor to point us to who? To Christ. Oh, the law in itself was not the problem. The problem was the people and their nature. Oh, yes, it is in Exodus 24. In one moment, Moses sat down with the people and they declared all the stipulations of who the holy God was and what was laid before them and the covenant binding promises and they all agreed and lived happily ever after. Well, for seven days. And then Moses went up on the mountain to speak with God and within one week's time, they decided to serve another God, create golden images and they stayed down from the mountain and worshipped the things they made. Rather than keeping the covenant they just made one week earlier with God. See, the problem is our nature. When it comes to the new covenant, the writer is saying, why do we have better promises? It's because now we can be made new. Paul writes it in 2 Corinthians. You can find it in chapter 5, verse 17. Many of you know it. It simply says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And now catch this. And this is from God, who through Christ has reconciled us to the world. You see, God is the one in the new covenant that reaches down and says, You can now be different. You can have a new nature. The reason you're struggling in life and trying to please God or find happiness in your life or joyful times in your life is because you're doing it on your own. You're still trying to do it through a works mentality, the efforts of the things of this world. You're trying to find the advice of the things that this world gives. In other words, you might even list before you the Ten Commandments, 
and think to yourself, if I could just do them, I would be happy. The problem of it is the law is no longer on stone. We are told that it is now here to be in the hearts and the minds of God's people. Look at verse 10. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law into their minds. I will write it on their hearts. Isn't this amazing that now we have an opportunity to have a new nature? It's called the monergistic approach, for those of you who like theology. When we talk about synergism, we talk about working together. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. God convicts us, and we work through that. God shows us his way, and we are obedient. It's called synergistic. But when it comes to salvation, that's not synergistic. You cannot earn your salvation. You do not deserve your salvation. You do not earn the Holy Spirit. You cannot have the Holy Spirit on your own terms. It's a monergistic approach. Listen to how God does this. I will put my law in their hearts. It's not an agreed upon term. It's not that salvation is up to you if you allow God to do that, if you allow God to be a part, if you want this in your life. It is not that all of kingdom is sitting there waiting for your response so that all of eternity can be changed. Folks, I hate to tell you this, but all of the future is not up to you. You would like it to be, I know. But this is what's called monergism. God has the right to reach down and touch the hearts of his people and change them. He has the right to bring conviction to you this morning. He has the right that when you leave this place, you might say to yourself, why did I ever even say those things? Why did I have to be so hurtful? Why does it always have to be my way? Why do I seem so selfish and self-centered? Folks, those are the things that come from the hand of a monergistic God who says, I'm going to change you, and I'm going to bless you, and you will be my people. To have a God who would never let go of us, to know that this new nature leads to something more, and what is it? It's the new relationship that comes about. Once you have this new nature, the ability that comes with it, I could spend hours talking to you about how Adam and Eve, our first parents, and how they sinned, and they lost the ability to please God. They never lost their freedom. They were given not only freedom, but ability. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they lost the ability. They never lost their freedom. They lost their ability. They could never please God again. They were never able to come to him. They were never able to search him out. They would never come to God on their own. But oh, when the Holy Spirit comes, he equips us and empowers us and gives us a new ability. And now we have the ability to please God, but we still have our freedom. And that's why you have people who call themselves Christians doing things they shouldn't. Because even though we have been given the ability to please God, sometimes within our own freedom we choose to not. And we call that sin. But this new nature is now there, and it leads to something else. It's called a new relationship. He takes it a step further for us when he says this in verse 10. Not only will I be their God, but listen to the part of that. I will be their God. 
we will have a relationship. This will be brought closer together. We have an opportunity to do what the law was designed to do. I could reveal myself to you. You could submit, and we could have a relationship that's on my terms. Folks, believe it or not, if you want to make God out to be this mean, overarching, overbearing, ruling God, you've done a good job. The problem of it is he does it in such a loving, kind, compassionate manner that it's very confusing. But don't mistake God's love and his compassion and his kindness and his mercy and his grace, his steadfastness, all those wonderful qualities that God has. Don't mistake them as though God doesn't have a standard and that he doesn't have a rule and that there's not a limit to what he does. You've got to raise yourself to his standard, and you can't do it on your own. You don't have the ability, but now you've been given a new nature. Now you've been equipped. He's written it on your hearts. That's the Holy Spirit. He's given you the ability to do that, to be drawn into a relationship that says this, I will put it in their hearts or in their minds and write it on their hearts, and they will be my people. Oh, I don't know about you, but if I was in an argument today with somebody and I thought it was going to get a little out of control... I would just call on my son Andrew to help me. No, I would be glad to know that God's on my side. Can you imagine how many times in the Old Testament when they would go to war and the enemy would actually look out and see all the armies that were there that they were facing because the angel of the Lord would go before them and prepare the battles. To know that God is on my side, it'd be nice to walk around and just say, hey, I'm one of God's peeps, right? Just have that telling everybody. Listen to what he says about a relationship, Galatians 2.20. If you've never taken it far enough, listen to the whole verse. You probably know most of this by heart. If you've known Galatians 2.20, it says this, For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then we stop. As if that's it. But listen, that's only the middle of the sentence. It says this, and the life I now live in the flesh, this life I now have with a new nature, in a new relationship with God, the life that I have in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Folks, Jesus didn't die for you. He died for who? For me. He's my God. He's personally mine. Oh, I think he cares about you a little bit, but he cares more about me. He's mine. He's personal. It's not just that he gave me a nature. He gave me a nature so that I could return this love, that I could receive the love that he's given me. I never knew it existed that way. It didn't make sense before. I was logically there, but until I could experience him, until I could feel him, until I knew it was real, it just didn't matter. And this morning he writes us and he says, it's by his mercy that we are bound in this love. He reveals himself to us. Let me ask you this this morning. Has God ever revealed himself to you? I'm not talking about if you read the Bible. I'm not talking about if you've known your Sunday school lessons. I'm not talking about whether or not you can justify heaven or hell or the great commission or the great commandment. I'm not talking about whether you could speak theology or philosophy or talk about the things that are happening in life. I'm asking you, has God revealed himself to you? Has he changed your nature? Do you feel his love? Has it changed your life? 
That's what the new covenant is about. It's about a whole new understanding that we now have this life in which we have been redeemed and transformed. You've been changed. You're a new creature. You have worth. Forget what the one husband said, what the one wife did, or what the few children have gone on to become, or what your employer reminds you of weekly, or what even your best friends sometimes have to bring up. Yeah, put all that aside, because when you have a new nature and you're in a new relationship with God, you realize, I'm on God's side. And more importantly, He's on mine. I have God with me. I'm worth something. With the Holy Spirit, our eyes are now open. Our hearts have been changed. And here's the big part. The life I now live, I live by faith. Our lives are rearranged. I couldn't just ask you this morning, have you felt God touch your life? Have you heard him call your name? Let me ask you it this way. Has your life been changed? Or are you still living the same life of the old covenant lifestyle? You see, the new relationship begins to come in because it changes us. This loveliness of God's holiness takes on a whole different stance. It has meaning and purpose, and it feels good. I'm sure my son Aaron, as a chemist, could tell me all about honey. Oh, I'm sure some of you could do the same thing if you're logical like those people are. It's amazing how some of our engineers and chemists, biologists, oh man, they can tell you all how it works. I'm sure my son could sit down and dissect honey and give me every atomic structure and makeup that's possibly there and even tell me it's sweet. But oh, what a difference when you taste it. You want to talk about the sweetness of honey? Don't tell me how it's made. Don't tell me where it came from. Don't talk about how it can be used. You want to talk about the sweetness of honey? Then give me a what? Taste. Don't talk to me about God. Don't tell me about how you've heard about him. Don't tell me about how your friends have been touched by him. Don't talk about how you pray to him and hope that things are better in your life. I want to know if you've tasted him. I want to know if he's touched your heart and you've experienced the sweetness of the love and grace of God. You see, the new covenant doesn't just say we have a new nature and a new relationship. It leads to something even better. It's this experience that we have. So you have this new experience of what we will be able to know him. Listen to what he says as he tells us, they shall not teach one his own, but they shall all know me. Don't look at it as saying this, we no longer have to talk about God. We no longer have to tell the others. The Bible says the Holy Spirit's going to do that. If he wants you to know, he can tell you. It's up to him. He can go get you. That's not what it says. It's in reference to the old covenant ceremonial standards. Keep in mind, the whole book has been about the priesthood. It's been about the Levites. It's been about the sacrificial system and those who can come into God's presence and those who couldn't. Keep this in mind when he says, I will be their God and they will be my people and they shall all know me. Personal experience, know. Listen to how it is used. It's how he brings us into this because it's used in this phrase. Many, many people will say to me from Matthew, Lord, Lord, 
and I will say, depart from me, I never what? I never knew you. The experience of a relationship that is real, that is taught by grace through faith, the life that we now live, it is a gift from God, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, so that no one can boast. You can't boast this morning about your relationship with God. You can't talk about how you've made your life what it is and how you know so much and how God should be responding to you. You have no clue on your own until God's gracious gift when he sends his Holy Spirit and he gives you a new nature and you all of a sudden say, you know, I think we should go to church today. You know, I was thinking that maybe devotions in our life would help. You know, I was really thinking that maybe we ought to stop doing the things we've always done and maybe we should try the churches around in the area to see what's going on on Sundays. Folks, that didn't come on your own. That's a gift from God. That's a new nature. That's a God who's saying to you, I want a personal relationship. I want you to experience me. You see, in the Old Testament, keep this in mind. Why would he say they would all know me? Because in the Old Testament, only the high priest could come to the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest got the intimacy with God. It was only the Jews who were able to come to the holy place. It was only those born of a certain stature that were able to experience that holy place and its sacrificial system. And it was only the clean, those declared by others in their community, that they could be a part of the services that would take place in the courtyards. Do you see access to God and intimacy with God was limited by all means. And now in the new covenant, in Jesus Christ, in the Holy Spirit, we are now told that all have access. They shall all know me. There's no longer picking and choosing, playing favorites. There's no longer putting one person above another. There's no longer distinction, Galatians says, between the Jew and the Gentile, the slave or the free, the male or the female. Let me put it this way. The red, the yellow, the black, the white, the rich, the poor. Folks, there's no distinction. They shall all what? Come into my presence and know me. Every one of my children now has the experience of coming to me. And so I ask you this morning very quickly, have you been in his presence? What's keeping you out? One more drink? One more day? One more opportunity? One more year? One more investment, one more cycle. What's the one thing that's keeping you from the presence of God? Well, let me interpret and say, that's the one thing that's more important to you than God. Which means that's really your God. Because there's only one true God. And you're still worshiping your gods if you haven't come to his presence and experienced the relationship with the new nature. Oh, and all of that is amazing because it leads us 
to understanding when there's no discrimination with God. This relationship is all based on the fact that when we come to him, he gives us all the same thing. And that's a new record. Oh, when I think of a new record, I want to set it. I want to be the highest. I want to be the greatest and I want the most. But not in this case, because this case, the record needs to be zeroed out. It needs to be cleansed. It needs to be gone. You see, when we come to Jesus, this is what it says. For I will be merciful, in verse 12. I will be merciful toward their sin, their iniquity, their intentional shortcomings that they've chosen before me, their intentional decisions regardless of what I've said. That's their iniquities. I will be merciful to their willing objection to me being the one in control. I will be merciful. You need to circle that word and keep it. I'll tell you why. That's the word that comes in a whole different word from mercy. Mercy comes from Elias. It's the condescension of words for mercy in God's character and grace. This is the word, if you wish, helios, merciful. It's the word that comes from the declensions of helosmos, helosterios. Those are the words for propitiation. God's judgment has been taken because of forgiveness and it's been replaced by someone else. Those are the same words that are used. What he's talking about is, I will be propitiatory toward them. I will be expiating their sins. I will be cleaning the slate. I will be wiping it clean, and I will be giving them a fresh record. You see, when we come into the presence of God, and we enter the Holy of Holies, the veil has been torn, and all of his children can come. He even says it this way, come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will what? I will clean your slate. I will helosmos you. I will elios you. I will expiate this. I will give you a brand new record. You see what comes with a new nature? Is a clean slate. And maybe this morning you're saying to yourself, Pastor, if you just knew what sins I have committed... Are you sure God would wipe them away? Does God forgive a murderer? Can God cleanse a 30-year inmate? What about abortion? What about relationships before we're married? What about a thief? What about one who steals, works for wages without paying taxes on them? You're nitpicking, preacher. You're nitpicking. It's amazing how we've taken the standards to change what we think should be the truth. Does your slate need to be clean? If you have a new nature and a relationship with God, you've experienced this wonderful blessing of no matter what you've done, his mercy exceeds, his grace excels. And it's not just in the new, even in the Old Testament, you can go to Isaiah chapter 43, listen to this, I am the one who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. 
He's cleansed you not so you'll feel good. He's cleansed you because he wants to do it for his sake. I will not remember your sins anymore. Chapter 44 says this, remember these things. I formed you and you are my servant. You will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me. I have redeemed you. You have a new nature, a new relationship. It's this new experience that we have because we have a cleaned new record. The fault of the old is that it could not bring us to what we needed to be. And maybe you're still here this morning trying to live without Christ, trying to be who you think you should be in a different way. Let me just tell you that the old has come to an end. If you don't believe me, listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have much more not like Moses who would have put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. They're not my words, they're his. The old needs to come to an end. You need to stop trying to make things right in your own system that will never work. Jesus said it this way, if the blood of bulls and goats could not cleanse the conscience, how much more now can we find that in Christ? In just a moment, we're going to share the Lord's Supper. In just a moment, we're going to have a chance to talk about this forgiveness. The new covenant, the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant. If you understand covenant theology, it all comes to the pointing of the new covenant. It's where God's promised ahead of time that all things will be made new, that you can have a relationship with God, but it's not going to come through works. It's not going to come through the law. It's not going to come through legalism. It's not going to come through your accomplishments. It's going to come by the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith in Jesus Christ. It's his blood that was shed for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. I pray, Lord, that you'll bring to us this understanding and experience of the new nature. Lord, open our eyes. Touch and change our hearts. Transform our lives. Increase our faith. Bring us to the true understanding of a relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask if our officers would come down to help serve as we prepare for the Lord's Supper.
let me say this as we go forward in serving, that if you're here this morning and you're visiting with us and you're a Christian, you've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, you've been baptized, you're a part of the family of God, it may be that you're just here visiting or searching or a part of things. If you're a Christian, then the supper is for you if you've made a profession of faith. If you haven't made a profession of faith, I would ask that you quickly look inside your heart. The Bible simply says that if you'll call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. It's the simple profession that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Please don't make it harder than that. But then let's go from there and realize the importance of a true relationship, truly being in his presence, truly experiencing him for what he has for us. And so this morning as we pass it out, I'm going to read some things to you, but I ask that you would please take a piece of bread if you're taking, and then we can take in just a moment together if you guys will start passing that out. Go ahead. I'm going to do this. If you're taking, if you've made that profession of faith, I want to read this to you from Luke this morning in chapter 22. It's amazing how when Moses made a covenant with the people, it took one week before the covenant meant nothing. And maybe you're here this morning and you've said, you know, I've rededicated my life a hundred times and it lasts about a week. I go right back to trying to live it the way I've always wanted to live it. It's amazing how when Hebrews writes and he says, I'm not going to do it like I did last time when I took them out of Egypt and led them by the hand. This time I'm going to write on their hearts. This time I'm going to change them from within. This time I'm going to have people who want to serve me. People who want to follow me. People who want to obey me. Jesus said it this way, you cannot be my disciple if you don't obey me. Luke was writing with the Passover as it came on the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John ahead so they could tell him how to set it up in the master's house. And when the hour had came, he reclined at the table with the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And so he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God has come. He earnestly desired to eat the Passover. He wanted to be with them and to share with them what he was about to do for them. Jesus loves you. He's given his son for you. He wants to change your nature, change your heart, and change your life. He wants you to experience the truth. He took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. In the same way as we passed out the bread, if you would please take and hold the drink until we come together. If you're visiting with us, this is all just juice. It doesn't matter which one you take. When we come to the new covenant, when Christ appeared as the high priest 
of the good things that have come to a greater and more perfect tent. When the new covenant had come, when Jesus came to fulfill all that he said, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. I will write it on their minds, and I will put it in their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be what? My people. I won't lose them. They'll not forget me. I will forgive them, and they will forever be with me. For if the blood of the goats and the bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer can sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, the new covenant, how much more who offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve a living God. This morning as we're taking, I'm encouraging you, if God's given you a new nature, it's because you love him. If God's given you this new relationship, it's because you have this desire to want to be closer. This new experience is because it's changing you and it's getting sweeter all the time. And it leads to a whole new record of where you realize now your life has been forgiven, cleansed, and there's nothing that separates you from God. This morning, whatever it is, I encourage you to write it down on your record. God, I am a murderer. I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a cheater. I'm a sneak. I'm an adulterer. I'm a coveter. I'm a sinner. Please clear my record. Give me the Holy Spirit. Change my heart. And let me have a relationship through your son, Jesus Christ. That's what happened at the Passover when Jesus said after he read, he said, and likewise, he took the cup after this, saying this, this cup is poured out for you, the new covenant in my blood. You can be made new. Let's take. Heavenly Father, again, we ask you to forgive us through your Son, Jesus Christ, his work on the cross, his love for us, his works for us. Lord, we realize that all of our lives can be made new through this new covenant, that we can no longer try to do it the old ways and by ourselves and through our works, but only through your Son, Jesus Christ. We give him the praise and glory for what he's done, and we give you the praise and glory for sending this Holy Spirit to fill our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'll receive a benediction, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And God's children said, Amen. have a great Lord's Day.